So if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, or maybe you've been in and out and might not know exactly where we are or what we're doing, we're in the middle of another series. This series is titled Devotions. It's titled Devotions. And the goals of this series is to grow in our ability to explore the Word of God. Now, we don't want to just explore the Word of God. We also want to learn how God wants us to apply the Word of God to our life. One of, our, one of my favorite scriptures is found in the book of James. It tells us to not just be hearers of the word, but to also be what? Doers of the word. So in our first week of the series, we went through uh, a whole lot of uh, resources and tools that will help a believer to better understand the word of God as we are reading it. Now, we're not going to go through all of those tools this morning. Uh, we did that in week one. So if you want to actually see how some of those tools were actually used, go back and get week one. We actually did a little brief tutorials on some of those. And those are some of the uh, Bible study tools there on the slide. Now, what we have been doing and what we are doing in this series, we're using the one-year Bible we're using the one-year Bible to pull out of that week's reading for our sermon. So this week, our sermon is coming out of the book of Jeremiah. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want to, chapter 35. But Jeremiah was in this week's reading. So if you want to kind of get a sneak peek in terms of what we may be preaching on next week, go ahead and get into your one-year Bible and read over the next couple of days what is assigned to those respective days. Of course, we talked about how important it is to read the Bible. Over the years, I believe we have gotten comfortable in what we know, and we have just kind of put that thing on coast mode. But I believe that in order for us to grow in Christ, we are going to have to learn how to read and study the Word of God so that when times of trouble come, guys, we don't have to go looking for the resources. The resources are already in our heart. Second Timothy has a lot to say about the Word of God and how important it is. It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word profitable means it's advantageous for you. And I believe if the God is telling us today that his word is profitable and advantageous for us, wouldn't it behoove us to start reading the word? He is telling us that we're going to need the word of God in order for us to be complete. I don't know about you, I am incomplete. And we will all be incomplete until Jesus returns. But guys, we can probably be in a better position than where we are now. And this is implied here by the word of God. As we get into the word, it becomes profitable to us and we will be more complete in the things of God. The scripture says that we will be equipped for every good work. How many of you want to do the work of God in your life? How many of you want to do that? I want to be equipped so that when God calls there is no hesitation. There's no hesitation. I want to be able to execute the assignment that he has given me. So again, in this series, we want to simply encourage and maybe even teach some of you that may not have a, a Bible study technique or habits that are in place. We're wanting to teach you how to go about studying the word of God. 
Now, in studying the Bible or maybe in studying a chapter within the Bible, it is always good to have a context. What is the reader trying to get me to understand? What's the purpose of that book? Who is the author of that book? So as we've already communicated to you, we're going to be coming to you out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, is a prophet, and he is one of many prophets in the Bible that God will send to the children of Israel to, to communicate warnings and correction to him, to them. Jeremiah prophesied for about 40 years. He prophesied for about 40 years, and, and he didn't have an easy message to communicate to Judah. In fact, Jeremiah was often called the weeping, weeping prophet because of the sorrow over the persistent message of God's judgment that was about to, become, about to come upon Judah. So Judah had been disobedient for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're talking about Judah specifically, but really and truly we're talking about the children of Israel. The rest of them had already been taken care of with God's discipline. But he prophesied this hard, rough uh, 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 judgment uh, to, the, to Judah during a time to where, you know, God had pretty much says, hey, I have been trying to communicate this to you for decades, but yet and still you have not surrendered to my will. He prophesied during the time of King Josiah, which is around about 627 B.C., all the way down to the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem. He prophesied for about 40 years. The cultural context, what's going on? The Israelites are repeatedly falling away from God after God prospers them. And don't we kind of do the same? When God blesses us, we tend to get relaxed. And then when we get in trouble again, we go crying out to God. And God is so faithful. He hears us. He comes and he helps us out of the ditch. And he blesses us, delivers us, and we, we become prosperous again. And then, bam, we fall away from God again. That is what's going on from a cultural perspective in the book of Jeremiah. The purpose of the book of Jeremiah is to declare the coming judgment of God. We've kind of already alluded to that. But the second thing is also very important. He is trying to communicate God's desire for repentance and righteousness. Repentance and righteousness. So now that we have gained some context in terms of the entire book of Jeremiah, if, if, if we're studying it, we, we have to now develop a framework. A framework is something that is going to guide your thought process as you are reading the word to help you make sure that when it's all said and done, you've gotten something out of the word of God. So we're going to ask ourselves three questions after we cover the scriptures that um, we're going to be sharing this morning. The first question is, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about God? What is it about his character? What is it about his nature that I need to make sure that I understand? The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to, we, we're going to ask ourselves, what do we learn about people? How many of you know when you read the word of God, you need to be uh, looking through it as if God is trying to communicate something to you? I don't know about you, but that was a period of time to when I would read the Bible, you know who I was thinking about? Other people. <laughs> get them, God. You're right. I'm for you. Go get them. Lord, I'm the only one that's doing this right. Go get them. You see them. But that's not the heart that God wants us to study his word, right? 
We should first look at ourselves before we start looking at people. But that's the second question we want to ask ourselves. What do we learn about people? And we also want to say at the end, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with all that I have read, with all that I have studied? Jeremiah 35, verses 12 through 17 are the scriptures that we're going to be reading this morning. And after we read these scriptures, we're going to come and pull out the things that will help us to answer those three questions that we just read. So here we go. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declared the Lord? The command that Jonadad and the son of Rechab gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently, saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to you and your fathers. But you did not incline your ear to listen to me. You did incline your ear to listen to me. The sons of Jonadad, the son of Rechab, have kept the commandment that their fathers gave them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. There's a lot in those few verses. Now, as I told the, the, the group in, in Wiggins a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be sharing what we got out of those scriptures. If you get home and you read these same scriptures and God gives you something else, that doesn't mean that we missed it or you miss it. God meets us all exactly where we are. And he'll show you what you need. He showed me what I need. And even as I give this message today, he's going to be speaking different things to everybody in this room. Isn't that great? Isn't that just the awesomeness of God? That everybody's going to be hearing the same thing, but man, you're going to walk out of here with something just for you. So the first question we want to answer as we begin to study the Bible, again, the goal is to teach us to study the Word of God so that we can apply it to our lives. But what do we want to learn or what do we learn about God in those scriptures? The first thing that we learn is that God persistently pursues us. God persistently pursues us. Jeremiah 35, 14b and 15 says, I have spoken to you persistently. I have spoken to you persi persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them, how often? Persistently. 
persistently. God has been pursuing a relationship with mankind ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. He has been persistently doing this day after day, year after year, millennium after millennium. He has been persistently pursuing us. As I was studying this thing out, there was a total of over 63 Old Testament prophets. That's a lot of people. There was a lot of people. Now, Jeremiah had a very difficult message to deliver. Now, not all of them had the same type of message that Jeremiah had, but man, 63 Old Testament prophets? That's a lot of people that God has said, hey, I want you to go warn and, and, and correct my people about these things. He was sending these prophets to get the people back on track. And God is still persistently pursuing us today, right now. That last breath that you just took, that last breath that you just took, I, 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 that last, the last blink of your eye, being that Jesus hadn't come back, he is persistently giving you another opportunity to choose him as Lord and Savior. He is persistently pursuing us. Over 63 Old Testament prophets. Some of these prophets were imprisoned. Some were beaten. Some were rejected. Guys, some of them were even killed just to get the word of God to the people. And he is still persistently pursuing us today. Even me being here today, Pastor Jordan is in Ocean Springs, Pastor Micah over in Long Beach, and, and all the pastors that he is still persistently pursuing you today. Still persistently pursuing. So much to the fact you might think, okay, once one of these prophets got killed, now in Wiggins we say kilt. Some of these prophets got killed. Isaiah, killed. Zechariah, killed. All for the gospel. Jeremiah, killed. God is persistently pursuing his people. And in God's persistence, in God's persistence, we understand and learn the second thing about God in these verses. We learn that God is so merciful. He is so merciful. I am shocked that sometimes when I hear people say, man, the God of the Old Testament, he was so mean. He was so mean. Why was he so mean? The God of the Old Testament wasn't mean. No meaner than if you see him in the New Testament. The scripture lets us know that the nature and the character of God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When I hear statements like that, the red flag jump up to me and say, hey, somebody is looking at God through the wrong lens. Somebody is looking at God through the wrong lens. But God is so merciful. In verse 15, it says, do not go after other gods to serve them. That was the whole crux. When the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt and it was coming into the promised land, the very first thing that God told them was to have no other gods other than me. He wanted to be number one. Scripture in the New Testament says, seek ye first the kingdom of what? And that's what he has called us to do. But for those of us that may be in the room today or for those that are at home that might have the mindset that God is not merciful, let me share a couple of things with you. We talked about the Exodus early, right? And the Passover and how they would celebrate the Passover. Can, can I share something with you? 47 days, a month and a half after God 
had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt from slavery. 47 days after that, they built a golden calf. 47 days. And you say that God's not merciful after all that he had done? And to make matters even worse, guess how many days had surpassed from when he had opened the Red Sea to allow them to walk through on dry land when their enemy was hot on the trail? 22 days. And we say that God's not merciful? I don't know what God you're serving. I don't know what Bible you're reading. But I'll tell you what, that, that is mercy to me. That is mercy to me. That is a whole lot of mercy. When Moses came down off of that mountain and they were celebrating, you know what they were doing? They were giving that golden calf the praise and the worship for their exodus. That's what they were. They were attributing that to that golden calf. Departing of the Red Sea, they were saying, thank you, old golden calf. That's the mercy of the God that I know and serve. Here's another one. God, when they he told the children of Israel to go into the promised land, he gave them one big, gigantic thing to do. Go in there and destroy everything. Did they go in there and do it? No, they didn't. We know they didn't. But the reason why God wanted them to do it, he didn't want them to go in there and to pick up on any idolatrous thing that they were doing. He knew that these people were weak, and he noted that they needed to get more of him and less of that. They couldn't handle what was going on in there. That's why God wanted them to go in there and take everything out. I don't want any of their influences on you when you're trying to worship me. He said, go in there and take them out. But guess what they did? They went in there and got to looking around, and they said, hey, hey, they, 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 got, a, they got a man king. They, I, I, I can see him. I can touch, I can have a conversation with him. I can trust him because I can see him. They came back and beat their chest so loud, God says, all right, give him a king. But when I look back at that story, all God ever really wanted to do then and today was to be their God. And still today, we're still shoving God out and says, I want myself another king. I want this as my idol in my life. I'd rather serve this. I get along with this better. This lets me do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And God says, no, there will be no other gods before him. They went into Canaan and saw and they were influenced, and they acted on it. Here's another thing. God had chosen these people, a priestly nation. They were supposed to be a model for the world, a model to the world. Did you know this? Five years after the death of Solomon, five years, the biggest church split ever, the biggest church split area ever. Y'all know there were 12 tribes split. Ten went to the north and two to the south. Unbelievable. The tribe that went to the north, they just lost their mind. Now, I want to remind you, what did God say? Do not go after other gods to serve them. The northern tribes, the first thing they did was set up two temples, not one, two. One in Gulfport and one in Wiggins, two. <laughs> they said, we're going to make our own temple. They made their own gods. And even worse, they set up their own priesthood. You're talking about wicked. You're talking about a slap in the face of the man who saved your life. Guys, and we're still slapping God today with our own gods. We're worshiping him any way we want to. 
But we got to come to God the way he has called us to come unto him. Five years, the northern tribe had 19 kings during their period of time. They got so wicked, God just ultimately had just to annihilate them. Of those 19 kings, guess how many were good? None. You get the answer right there on the second row. Absolutely none. But Judah wasn't no better. You might say, well, why did he lead Judah around? Judah was basically two tribes. It was the tribe of, um, it was Judah and Benjamin. In Scripture, they called them Judah, right, rather than name them both. They were okay, but over time, they got worse and worse and worse. Judah had 19 kings. They had one queen that was in there. She thought she was something special. God quickly got her out of the way. <laughs> Just get out of here. You ain't part of the lineage. You don't roll with David like that. Get out of here. Of those 28, 12, 12 of them were evil and eight were good. God's chosen people. God's chosen people. And the idolatry, guys, was everywhere. We're talking about a God that doesn't have any mercy. Again, he is full of mercy. Child sacrifice. You know why that devastated God so much then and even and, and upsets him so much today? Because that's what the Canaanites did. That was one of the main things they did and that God was so disappointed about. I'm telling you what now, guys, God is serious about this abortion thing. He was serious then. He is serious today. That was one of the top things that the, that the Canaanites did where God said, I'm, I'm going to replace them. I'm going to take them out. Idolatry was everywhere. One of the scriptures says that in every corner of Jerusalem, there was a center of worship. They weren't even worshiping in the temple anymore. They said, we don't even want to serve. That We want to go over here in the high places is what the scriptures called them. And there were times that when, they, when, they, when they just failed to trust God, they began to go out and make alliances with other nations, other nations that had beaten them before. And guess how they paid them? They would take the silver and the gold out of the house of God. They would walk it over here and say, hey, will you protect us? Will you protect those, protect us from them people in Long Beach? They coming over here. I need somebody. They would take the temple, they would take God's money instead of trusting God that was trying to buy their support. Sometimes we find ourselves doing the same thing today. And this one right here really just got me. One of the kings, this is how bad it was again, now that don't serve any other gods. One of the kings was so bad, he went over to another nation to give them the money that he had to pay them because they had beat them. This is Judah, one of Judah's king. He goes over there, and while he's talking to him, he just happened to see an idol. And he said, I like that. The scripture says, the king of Judah, it would be the equivalent of, let me get a snapshot of that. He sent the picture back. He sent the drawing back to the priest of God's temple, and he said, by the time I get home, I want me one of these. He copied another God and said, hey, hey, high priest back home, make me this. Have it ready when I get back. We're talking about a God that doesn't have any mercy. Man, if we, now y'all know how we are with our children. When we tell our children don't do something, they do it one time, we might cut them a little grace, right? I know some of y'all in here believe in timeout. I don't, right? <laughs> you can ask my children, I don't know about timeout. 
But, you know, we're talking about over hundreds of years these people are doing this kind of stuff. And as it relates to God's temple, if you read in the Old Testament, you know that God gave them very specific examples of what to do in the temple, where everything needs to go. It needs to be this size, need to be this high, all that kind of good stuff. Guys, they start burning the furniture in the temple. At one point, Judah got so bad, they just closed the doors of God's temple. The place where his people were to come to him and to worship and to pray and to praise his name and to worship him, they closed the door. So when I hear people tell me that the God that I serve doesn't have mercy, that the God that I serve doesn't love me, I'm saying fooey on that this morning. Is that a word, fooey? Fooey on that. <laughs> Guys, that's not true. All he asked us to do was to have no other gospel for him. And guys, these things that I just mentioned, that's a, that's a scratch on the surface. Psalms 103 and 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. Scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing present, nothing to come, nothing above, nothing below. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So the question is, why won't we serve God? Why is he still having to pursue some of you right in this auditorium this morning to serve him after all that he has done? My God, he sent his son, Jesus, who we just, come on. When we take communion, basically what we're saying is we're partaking in this covenant relationship. Our identity is in Christ, but yet instead was like, I don't know where his mercy is. My goodness, what more do we need, church? What more do we need? Our Lord and God is merciful and he is gracious. So what do we learn about people? What do we learn about people? This really just jumped out at me. It's not written exactly the way I'm going to say it in here in, in, in this next thing that's going to come up on the screen. But this is what we learn about people in that passage. People often have too little respect for the word of God. We have little respect for the word of God. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a little bit. We have little time for the word of God. Not only do we not respect it, no time. I went to a football game and I like to go and, and, and I see people stand up for three and a half hours long. We get to church and we can't sing four songs. I'm just telling it like I see it. Every Friday I got to see my now and they're jumping and they're cheering and we get to church. Y'all know what it looks like. Y'all know what it looks like. We should be turning this place out every Sunday, worshiping God. We go past 35 minutes of a preaching sermon, we start looking at our watch. The restaurant line is getting long, man, hurry up. You better tighten up. That chicken getting cold. The crock pot got to be turned off. 35 minutes. Everybody just slid their hand behind their, that ain't me. That ain't me. But y'all know we do it. We have little respect for the word of God. I remember as a kid growing up in church. Now, my, my hometown church as a kid, was, it wasn't no bigger than this middle section right there. And we had those hard wood floors. So when you walked, it was a clack and a clack and a clack. But I will tell you this. My mother always told me that when the man of God stands in that pulpit and starts to preach, you better sit. This is what she would have said. You better sit your tail down. <laughs> she was afraid that we might miss something. When the word of God is coming forth, it deserves respect. God is talking to you. 
This is not by coincidence that you're here today. There's a message. There's something in this word that God wants to communicate to you. And even you at home, God is wanting to tell you something. But we got to sit still long enough to be able to hear it. I want to get my coffee refilled. My coffee just got cold. Let me go get me. Just get me some more coffee. Hey, brother, you got some thumb. You, you, I, I need a mint. You got a mint? I need some mints. Uh, I'm thinking about those, those cups. I, I got to take me some of those cups. I, I want to do communion every day. We have so little respect for the word of God. Way too little as believers. Jeremiah, in the passage that we've read this morning, he is using a very short but impactful story to illustrate the lack of respect we have for the word of God. And you can kind of pick this up in verses 14. He begins to talk about this group of people that are called the Rechabites. The Rechabites were nomadic people. They lived in tents. They didn't own any land. And Jonadad, in this story, was the son of Rechab. He, taught, he had taught his people to live free from idolatry. They didn't drink any wine. and They were free from corruption of the city. This might be the equivalent of somebody that still got a phone at home on their wall. Then you got to put the numbers in, hello, and you're walking around with a cord that's about a mile long. <laughs> you can go to all five bedrooms in the house with that one cord. <laughs> you can go outside, check the mail, speak to the neighbors, and then be like, I'm on the phone, I'm on the phone. <laughs> that would have been like those people. So Jeremiah had been called by God. He says, go and ask and invite these Rechabites to the temple. I want to use as a contrast to show the obedience that these people have for their earthly father, a flawed man compared to the obedience of my people toward my word that I have given them. So the story picks up in Jeremiah 35, 15b through 16. It says this, but you did not incline your ear or listen to me. Verse 16, the sons of Jonadad, the sons of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them, but this people, my people, have not obeyed me. My people have not obeyed me. What is the point that God is trying to make here? God expects at least at least the same respect from the Israelites for his word as the Rechabites had for Jonadash's word. And this is what he's saying to us today. He is expecting for us to at least put the amount of value on his word that we put on our family traditions. Sometimes we usurp family traditions above the word of God. Because of what grandmama said and what uh, 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 and all those other people said. But what about the word of God? What about the word of God? He's using a very simple illustration here to, to let them know that, hey, I, I, I have been begging for your obedience. I have been persistently pursuing you. I have shown you mercy after mercy after mercy each and every day. Why won't you obey? And he brought in a visual so that they can see an earthly flawed father. These people for generations had not been drinking any wine. He said, at the least you can do is give me the amount of respect that you would give your earthly father. Man, that is awesome right there. But it's also sad that God have to come and say, at least we can, can, I, get, can I get this amount of respect as it relates to my word? No, we, we, we know how to do this. We know how to respect. You can tell the people that we respect because we do what they tell us to do. 
we do it. So this isn't a new skill set. You ain't got to go home and pray, Lord. Lord, teach me how to respect your word. You respect the word of man every day. And everybody here got a boss. Respect that boss. Children, the same. You got parents and you respect your parents every day. But for some reason, when it comes to the word of God, we slack in that area. We have very little respect for the word of God. Shouldn't we have learned this by now? To respect the word of God over man, hasn't he shown us enough? Hasn't he shown us enough to warrant our respect of his word? We sing songs all the time. God, you deserve the honor. You deserve all the glory. But man, do we really take that in? Is that word really written on our heart so that when it comes, we don't reject it? We have to begin to receive and accept the word of God. And especially when it is being taught. Hey, let me, let me say it this way. If you don't like the way I'm presenting this today, there is a million other things you can listen to to get the word of God in you. But it is God's word and we have to respect it as such. I, I, I get it. I, I might be too loud for some of you. That's okay. That's okay. There are some people on, on YouTube you can listen to and they'll speak to you so softly and so gently. And, and that's great if that fits you. But man, we can't just turn the voice of God off because we say, we don't, we, we don't, oh, he, he, he kind of loud. And better, yeah, he better hurry up because I'm on my 33 minutes right now. He better hurry up. I'm about to return that respect switch off. I had it on, but it's about to go off. I'm about to turn the lights off on you. Teacher man from Wiggins. <laughs> so what does God want us to do? What does he want us to do with this word that we have learned? God desires for us to listen and obey. Listen and obey. Jeremiah 35, 13b says, Will you not receive instruction and listen to my words, declares the Lord. That word listen means to do. It means to do. He is asking us, will we not receive these instructions and then go about doing the things that I'm instructing you to do? John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I'll tell you this, church. God is speaking. God is speaking. I think sometimes we're doing this, la, 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 la. Sometimes we don't want to hear what God said because we don't want to do what we know to do is right. God is speaking. It is us with the hearing problem. It is us with the problem of, 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 of being obedient. He is speaking. But why aren't we obeying? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We have to begin to accept God's words. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13, it says it like this, and we also thank God constantly for this. I got in bold right there for this because this is what Paul is thanking the Thessalonians for. He's thanking them for that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, man, Paul, and all the other teachers, when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, here it is, 
you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. And this is what it really is, church. It is the word of God which is at work in the believer. That's what Paul was so excited about when he was introducing this letter to the Thessalonians. He says, I'm so excited that you didn't miss it. I'm so excited that you didn't see me and that you respected the words that came out of my mouth, not as words of men, but as the word, as the gospel truth of God. You see, that's where the children of Israel missed it. They saw Jeremiah, that old crazy man, Every time I see him, he's talking about God. Every time I see these people today, they're talking about get saved. God is still pursuing his church. He is still pursuing the lost. He is still pursuing and he is never, ever, ever gonna stop. I hope that he is just tugging on your heartstrings right now in this building if you don't have a relationship with him. I hope he is wearing you out. So that when we end today and you have an opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior, you'll no longer see him as a mean God, a God that has no mercy, a God that, that, that has not uh, uh, given you grace and the number of times. I'll, I'll, I'll reemphasize this again. The very breath that you are breathing, he put it inside of you. It's his. That's his air you breathing. How long do you think he's going to allow you to continue to reject him and to turn your back on him? That's his stuff in your house. That money, he, he allowed you to get that. But yet and still, we reject his word. I'm encouraging you today. As the scripture would say today, if you hear the word of God, do not harden your heart. Please don't harden your heart another day. Back in the time of Jeremiah, the scripture called them stiff-necked people. They were stiff-necked. That means if you, were, if you were thinking about an ox and you're trying to pull him this way and he's constantly struggling to go in the opposite direction, God is saying that, that's the wrong direction. He is calling you to align yourself with him and to have no other gods in your life other than him. Put him first. He is pursuing you right now. So the final question is where we true all of this up is what will be your response today? We got to respond. We got to respond, church. Non-believer, you got to respond today. I'm hoping that today your response will be acceptable and pleasing unto God. As we have communicated this message, God may be asking you to respond in a, in a manner that increases your faith. He may be telling you to have more faith, to hang in there. Don't quit. Don't give up. He may be telling you to forgive that person that you've been holding on, that grudge about. He may be talking to you about different relationships that are in your life that shouldn't be. He's asking you to respond, to act, to get out of that relationship or to get into that relationship. I don't know. What is God asking you to respond about? 
But I do know this for every one of you in this room that don't have a relationship with him. Your response has to start with repentance. Your response has to start with repentance. If you're at home today and you don't have a relationship with God, that's where it starts. Sometimes we try to go all around, but there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. That's through Jesus. We're going to pray a simple prayer here in just a moment. And if you don't have a relationship with God, this is going to be the perfect opportunity for you to respond and say, yes, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to just get along with God right there in your seat. Maybe even close your eyes. I'm going to say a brief prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. It's not whether or not you say it loud or not. What's more important here is that, if you, is that you mean it from your heart. Is that you mean it from your heart. And God knows your heart. That's what he's looking at today. If you don't have a relationship with God today and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, say something like this. Say, Dear Lord, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, and that he died upon the cross, that his blood was shed as a means of remittance for my sins. Lord, your word says that if I believe this, then I shall be saved. So, Lord, upon the truth of your word, I confess Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Then say something like this. Say, dear Lord, teach me to love you and teach me to know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, let's give it up for those that gave their life Christ this morning.